First, says the Apostle Paul, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had, sorry, have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Please remain standing and we'll just pray before we sit. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that that would indeed be the cry of our hearts together this morning. Speak, O Lord. We thank you again for the awesome privilege we have of having before us the words of the living God. And as we come to a part of the Bible um, which is so condensed in its beauty and its wonder, as we get to hear of what must be the most incredible and wonderful thing in all the world, the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel. We pray, our Father, that you would preach through your word to us, to our hearts, to change our hearts, to shape and fashion us um, in your likeness. And we pray, Father, particularly if we come to this as a familiar passage this morning, that you would give us teachable hearts, humble hearts, um, ready and willing to listen. And whoever we are, Father, we pray that our hearts would be strangely warmed by the wonderful truths that we see revealed in it. Come and help us, Father, we pray. Thank you for your wonderful living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Please take a seat and please open your Bibles again to Romans chapter 1, page 793. Uh, I'm, my name's Anthony. I'm one of the other pastors of the church here. Um, and we're going to be looking at those verses again this morning. Verses 8 through 2 to 17 on page 793. Uh, I wanted to do, begin by um, telling you about an unnerving experience I had during the week. Um, I was out jogging round the, the estate, as is my custom, uh, early in the morning, and I had some headphones in. The volume was on fairly quiet. Um, and I was coming round the back of, um, uh, you, know, you know, the road round the back of the Premier Inn, um, and uh, as it swings round towards the, the main Hale Road. Um, and as I was coming round, a strong car horn, a really loud car horn, um, uh, made me lose my step 
for a moment. Out of the corner of my eye, um, I could see that someone um, had overtaken somebody else on the Hale Road at obviously a dangerous point. Um, and a headlong collision um, with a car coming in the opposite direction was just a fraction of a second away. Um, thankfully, it was a near miss. So often they are, aren't they? Um, but my heart was pumping. Perhaps yours is now as you listen to the story. Uh, and my mind was racing, um, uh, picturing the scene of the, uh, of the collision had there been one. Imagining, you know, the bang that would have come um, inevitably. Uh, and after that, the silence, which would have seemed so uh, silent and unnerving. Um, imagining in my mind the crumpled metal. Because um, I've seen pictures of this before. We'd driven on the motorway and seen this sort of thing. You probably have too. Picturing the broken glass, picturing the casualties. You know, that picture of the horror of a head-on crash scene. And I also imagined for a second, I remember thinking, the regret, you know, um, how things might have been so different um, if something different had happened just a few seconds before. People would have been filled and overwhelmed with a sense of regret. Yeah. Um, now, I'm all sorts of things today, a pastor, a father, a husband, um, um, but I, I'm a believer in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And spiritually speaking, um, that means I can say, uh, thinking about that illustration, I've been saved from a head-on collision with God's King. And we've been hearing all about God's King at the beginning of the service this morning, haven't we? We've sung about the fact that he's King. Even in the, the, the children's story, we've heard about that. Jesus rules and reigns. Jesus is the King that God has crowned. Um, and we saw that last week in the first seven sentences of the book of Roman, Romans. It's Paul's letter to the Romans that we're looking at here. Jesus has always been God's king, um, but the resurrection was his coronation. That was the point at which he was crowned as seen to be, uh, as it were, God's king in power. Um, and Paul, who wrote this letter, has been commissioned by God with the only message by which collision with King Jesus can be avoided. Um, and so Paul has made it his goal in life, and if you've got this chapter open, you just lift your eyes up from where we've, we're, we're starting today, verse 8. If you lift your eyes up to verse 6, you'll see that Paul has made it his ambition in life, because that is true, to call people to the obedience that comes from faith. Faith. So it's no surprise as we turn to the first sentence today, sentence number eight, to hear Paul saying to the Christians that he's writing to, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul's saying to the Christians in Rome, the faith that you have come to have I thank God for, because now, by this faith, God's king has become your king, the king who fights for you and not against you. Because genuine faith, bowing the knee to King Jesus, 
God's king is what matters more than anything else in the whole world. And Christian, here this morning, that means there is no better gift that you've ever had or could ever have than the gift of faith that God has given to you. No better gift at all. Um, when I was about 12, um, I really wanted a proper camera. Um, one of these ones with lenses that you take off and fit on and stuff. And I really wanted this gift. I'd, I'd, I'd got a cardboard box and I'd spruced it up and I'd got some foam and cut some shapes out of it so that this camera would, in my imagination, would fit beautifully in it. It would be great. I was so wanted this, uh, this camera. I didn't get it. Sad. Sad. Um, not much sadness out there for that. I didn't get this camera that Christmas. I didn't, in fact, I didn't get it the year after either. Um, but I, I, really, I really wanted to have that gift. Um, let, let, let me say this morning again, there is no better gift that you could ever want or that you could ever have than the gift of faith that Paul gives thanks to his God for for these believers in Rome. Paul knows that and he's excited wherever he sees faith paul is excited um the week before last i was away with uh, dean we went to um a conference where i was helping out a conference for young church trainees called formation and i got chatting during that conference to a young lady and i asked her how she became a christian um and um uh, she told me a story and um it was centered around how God had used a poster, maybe a bit like the posters that we are putting up now, um, outside a church. He'd used a poster and also uh, a friend, a Christian friend that this lady had, whose life was obviously very different from other people that she knew, whose life had been transformed by her faith. How God had used those two things as part of her story, how she became a Christian herself. What was really interesting and encouraging about her story for me also was that um, she talks about becoming a Christian and then describing her life after as really from from anybody looking in would say there was nothing at all uh, um, about following Jesus, uh, about her life. And yet she knew that at that point she'd become a Christian, which is tremendously um, encouraging. Um, and and I, I listened to her story, and, and I have to—I was spellbound. You know, the jaw dropped. I just just loved—I just loved listening to her tell her story of how she'd come to have this faith that Paul is excited about here. It wasn't a Damascus road like Paul's conversion, um, but as she spoke, it was plain that. God's call was transforming her her life at the very deepest level. And there were some steps forward and there were some steps back. But here was somebody who'd had that gift of faith. And um, it was uh, brilliant. It was great. Do you ever, do you, do you enjoy hearing other people tell you their story? Um, don't, don't you sometimes, don't, don't the tears well up in your eyes sometimes when you hear people's stories and the lump come in the throat? Um, not because it's too long and you know you're getting bored, but you just it's just love to hear the people's stories. Um, why 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 do we feel so emotional about that? Maybe maybe it's because we're caused to think about the head-on collision that this person that I'm speaking to in front of me has been saved from, and we rejoice in that. Um, to know that they're secure forever 
makes me excited for them um, to contemplate how loved they are by their Father God. It just that, that overwhelms me, and I, I feel the tears welling up to imagine how the Lord will not waste their testimony, but will use it in the reaching out of others. And so I feel excited, and the, the, the tears of excitement they are. But sometimes you feel a little bit like that. Everyone's story is different, of course. But one thing is common in all of them, and that is faith. Um, I thank my God, Paul says, because of your faith. And Paul is encouraged by Christian faith in others. And I can see as I uh, talk to you that, it's, that, that you are too. A lot of you are encouraged by the stories of Christian faith that you see in others. Um, but there's more still, okay, that's important to Paul. He's excited by that, but there's more still that's important to him. He wants to visit Rome. Did you notice that? He wants to visit Rome. So, so look down with me, if you would, to sentence number nine. Let's read on. In sentence nine, Paul says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. So he says, now at last, a way may be opened for me to come to you in, in Rome. He really wants to go to Rome. Um, let me pause for a minute. Is there, any, is there a place where you really want to go? Some of you are nodding. Where do you really want to go? Where would you really love to go? I struggled with this because I'm, I'm not really a, I'm more of a homing person than a moving around kind of person. But I know some people really, they've got it in their heart. I really want to go here. Go on, call it out. This is just a little break. This is like a little intermission, a little pause for your brain. St. Lucia, yeah? Well, we can imagine why you might like St. Lucia. So that's a good one. Yeah, thank you for that. Brilliant. Where have you always wanted to go? What was it for you, Joe? Easter Island. Easter Island. Okay, to see the, the things, the giant heads. Yeah, okay. So you like the sightseeing and that sort of thing. Yeah, cool. We've got places we really want to go. Red Hot Buffet, but better than that. <laughs> Japan, yeah. Uh, is that something that's always been on your, on your heart or something recent or fairly recent? Yeah. A lot of us might have think places we really, really like to go. I wonder what stops you from going. What stops you from going to a Red Hot, Steve? <laughs> Money. <laughs> oh, has it? Oh, well, that's definitely going to stop you then, isn't it? What stops you from going to these places? What stops you from going to Easter Island, Joe? The expense, yeah. That's what's going to stop us a lot, a lot of the time, isn't it? So what about Paul? Was it the expense that stopped him? Let's have a look. Paul had often wanted to visit Rome, but what's prevented him? Um, I'm going to ask you to turn, if you could, to chapter 15 and verse 20, because this is really important to see what's stopping him. Um, and chapter 15, verse 20, throws a bit more light on this. Um, if you get to it before I do, you could shout a page. Thanks. Uh, Mark 802. Um, so chapter 15, verse 20, the little sentence 20, and we read this. Um, Paul, Paul says, it's, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on some, someone else's foundation. 
That's, that, that's, that's, that's how Paul feels. That's, that's his heartbeat. Verse 22, that is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul was prevented from coming to Rome because his work of planting churches in, in areas where there weren't any churches hadn't been finished. Um, so if planting churches in places like that was really where his passion was, why does he say he wants to visit Rome, which is already a church, is already a church at Rome, he's writing to these Christians? Because he said on principle he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, agreed. Well, I hope you still got that chapter 15 open, because um, chapter 15 and verse 24, this is a help. Paul goes on and says, I plan to visit you when I go to Spain. Um, I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there to Spain, in other words, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Um, it's not sounding very complimentary uh, of the Romans here. Um, his visit to Rome is starting to sound more like a, you know, one of those air, airport long-haul flight stopovers you know, rather than rather than that he's going to stay there a long time. And I think it's just important when we read the book of Romans um, to make sure it would be a mistake to think that, think of Paul as this kind of person, you know, to the Romans, come on, block out your diary, um, move aside, because me, Paul, the great evangelist, is coming, okay? I want you to get the gospel tent set up, um, Ordering the dry ice, iron the white suits, Paul's coming to town. Okay? Be a mistake to think like that. Mistake to think of Paul saying it's going to be the longest running tent crusade since Billy Graham did a buy one, get one free with the Phantom of the Opera. That's what this is about. It would be a mistake. He's passing through. He's passing through. See ya. Maybe. I might see ya. But I'm going to Spain. Um, don't forget the sombrero, I'm off. Yeah? It's just a different way of thinking about what's, what Paul is saying here, what's going on. You see, um, he wants the Christians reading this letter um, to have the same mission heartbeat as he's got. Um, and when he says in chapter 15, verse 24, I want to have you assist me on my journey, that's code. People use code sometimes, don't they, to mean something else. When he says, I want to have you assist me on my journey, um, what he means is, I want you to have you get your checkbook out and write a few checks so I can get over there, because that's where, that's where it's at. Or even, I want you to sign up for this mission trip and come with me. I'm going to pass through and grab you and your money and we're off to Spain. Because we've got to tell everybody this great news about Jesus. Code. I use it a lot with Dean. Whenever Dean hears me say, I would like you to um, uh, assist me with this thing I've got to do. It's code for, Dean, I want you to get on with it and finish it and do it all. Yeah? We do that sometimes, don't we? Yeah. Paul wants partners. He wants, he wants someone to sign the checks. Paul wants someone to organize the kids' work. He wants someone in the Spanish Welcome Club. Um, do you know what welcome is in Spanish? Anybody know? You don't know? Come on, some of you are doing Spanish. Some of you youngsters are doing Spanish. 
Yes, who said that? Bien, yeah. Go on, shout it out again, Jane. With confidence. Look at that. She, Paul wants somebody in the mm, club, okay, um, to listen to, you know, listen patiently to old people talk about their ailments like corns in the, light, in the unlikely event that he might find some way of, of being able to link corns to Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants partners. And that's why he wrote them Romans. Not to fill their heads with facts, but to change their hearts. I wonder, as we, as we begin this book of Romans, you know, we're going to learn a lot of things in our head, but is that, what you, is that what you're expecting Paul wants? No, he wants your heart to change. He knows that when you and I listen to the gospel, hear the gospel, have the gospel preached to us, our hearts will be transformed. Yes, it will start with our heads, but he wants it to move down into our hearts and out into our lives. Yeah, this is a dynamic thing. This isn't a dusty old theolo- theological treaty that we've got here. We've got something that wants to, to change us at the deepest level. And that ought to be our expe- expectation as we, as, we, as we delve into Romans uh, uh, to do that. Anyway, turn back with me, if you can, then, to, to chapter 1, verse 13, where, where we, we, we were left off. Chapter 1, back on page 793. You can leave chapter 15 behind, but you can see how important it was towards the end. So, so chapter 1, sentence number 13 says, I don't wa- do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to, wise, to the wise and the foolish. So now knowing what Paul's passion for Spain, we can understand what he's saying here a little bit more, I think. Rome was the capital city of the vast Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was, you know, the the empire. And Rome was the capital city of the Roman Empire. People in Rome thought of themselves a cut above everyone else. The word Paul uses for that in those sentences we've just looked at, 13 and so, so on, is Greek and wise. Sorry, sentence 14. The word he uses for that sort of being cut above is, is Greek and wise. They thought of people in places like Spain, where Paul really wants to be moving out to, and Northern Europe and so on, as non-Greek or foolish. And Paul says to the Romans here, in, the, in these sentences, I'm as duty-bound to tell the Jesus story to that lot who are generally called uncivilized and foolish as I am to those who would call themselves cultured and wise. And so he says, verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you Christians who are in Rome. That's why I'm preaching the gospel to you Christians, he says. That's why I've written this letter to you in which the gospel is being preached. Because, says Paul, the gospel preached will cause your heart to beat with my heart, which is to get this great news, this great gospel good news out. Not, not, not so much preached so that you will know what to say to someone about the gospel. 
Not so much that, but preach so that your heart, my heart, will be overflowing with God and his grace and the the wonder of this good news that is offered to all, salvation to all, that that we won't be able to help telling other people about about Jesus. That's what Paul is driving at. Are we okay with that? Do we see that? Do we see that? Paul wanted partners who shared his eagerness to have Jesus preached to all. And so we can pause there. And let me say, I've been encu- I'm encouraged when I look across our church um, and think about you lot uh, as gospel partners in that very same thing. When I think about how the preaching of the gospel has transformed your hearts and lives to be willing partners in the work of getting the Jesus story out here in Speak. You mean this week we've had um, we've had uh, the uh, gospel work starting up again, haven't we? Welcome Club and Speak Kids and Rooted and the Fellas Lunch has started up, and many of you have turned out to help again. Um, uh, partnering in, in, in these kinds of works with an eagerness to tell the Jesus story. Um, and others of you have faithfully plodded along, a lot of you through the summer, in mercy ministries and so on. Um, and others have invited their friends to come and hear this Jesus story. And there have been stories this week of a number of people who've, who've come as a result of an invitation in that way. And some of you here, I've been encouraged to remember this week, have worked really hard in paid employment um, uh, or you've been seeking paid employment so that you can write the checks that keep the train on the track, that keep us doing this gospel work of, of getting the good news of Jesus out. I'm encouraged when I look across our church and think about those stories. I hope you are too. We look at one another as partners in that, as partners whose hearts have been transformed in that way. Paul knew that this telling the Jesus story was a job for believers in churches working together, you know, not, not sort of for super apostles. So look at verses 11, sentences 11 and 12. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Isn't it amazing that the great Apostle Paul could talk about being mutually encouraged by these other Christians? Even Paul. Wow. There were insights and experiences unique to Paul that he had to offer the Romans by his visit. Getting them fired up and passionate about taking the good news out. But equally, there were stories about their own faith um, and the grace gifts that God had given them of their own and experiences of God's work in them, which would strengthen and encourage Paul. And, and that is exactly that, you know, how church communities work, aren't there? And I, I want to make an appeal to you. you know, this term, let's not be buttoned up, um, tight-lipped about talking about the experience of King Jesus in our lives week in and week out. It's so important and such an encouragement, as Paul says here. And even and especially when, because of struggles, he seems absent. Let's not be buttoned up and tight-lipped and, and disappear from, from fellowship with one another. Let's, let's encourage one another in the struggles, in the things that are going well. 
but but be encur- being being encouragers of one another as we as we as we talk about the experiences of King Jesus in our lives. Can we do that this this term? Can we can we be resolved to do that and not be buttoned so buttoned up about it? That would be great, wouldn't it? Let's summarise where we've got to then, because we we're now we're just uh, we're on the brink of some fantastic verses in Romans. Number one, summarise where we've got to, because Jesus is Lord and King over everyone, which we've been seeing throughout the service, and that's what comes at the beginning of the of, of Romans chapter one. Then anyone's faith, the faith of any person, humbly bowing the knee to that King Jesus, is what matters more than anything else. Do you see that this morning? That's, that's more valuable. It's more important than anything else in the whole world, number one. Secondly, telling that Jesus story is what believers in churches do together, working in harmony. We've seen that, secondly. And then thirdly, therefore, hearing the gospel in church so that our heads hear it into our hearts and, and out into our lives is how that is going to happen. Hearing the gospel, you and I, hearing the gospel again is how all of that is, is going to happen. That's what Paul's just said. So what would you expect to happen next? Just think, what would you expect him to say next? What would you expect to happen next? Yeah, he's going to say, have it. He's going to give them the gospel. He's going to tell them. He's going to get going. He goes, let me tell you something that starts that process. Something absolutely incredible. Something absolutely wonderful. Verses 16 and 17, think of them as the movie trailer. Um, you know, like if you watch a big movie, you know what we mean by the movie trailer, where you just get the, you just get some little flashes of stuff that run really quickly, and they give you a taster for the main thing. Well, that's what's going on in 16 and 17, and it's absolutely wonderful. Verse, verses 16 and 17. Are you ready for heart surgery? Remember, Paul is not in the business of filling heads with stuff, and it's just staying there. This is about heart change. Are you ready? As we stand on the brink of verses 16 and 17. Because that's Paul's passion. That's why he's, that, that, that's why he's written this. Get ready for heart change. Verses 16 and 17. Verse 16. And in fact, I think we've got these. We can put them up, can't we? We've just slowed it down a bit. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile the gospel what we're calling in our, those leaflets the Jesus story and on our posters the Jesus story is the power of God that brings salvation now Take those words for a moment. The power of God. The power of God. Can you imagine for a moment what that must be like? The power of God. How powerful must that be to talk of something as the power of God? It must be inconceivably powerful, mustn't it? The power of God. Paul says, the Jesus story is the power of God. 
Not that it contains the power of God or a bit of the power of God. Not that it demonstrates or is proof of the power of God. The Jesus story is the power of God. Wow. Ouch. That makes it white hot. It means that all this stuff, these leaflets, the vision stuff and so on, to take the plan of Jesus out, it means it's all white hot. It means that what we have on the end of our lips in telling the Jesus story is like the, I don't know, do they call it the Hadron Collider? Multiplied by a number bigger than we can imagine. Because it's the power of God. The power of God for salvation. The Jesus story is not there to teach us nice morals. It's about salvation, which means being saved from from the head-on collision. To everyone. It is to everyone. Because there isn't anyone who's nice enough not to need it. Not even Ali Jones is nice enough not to need it. And it's to everyone because God shows no partiality. Salvation is offered to everyone without prejudice. I'm so prejudiced. God offers this salvation to everyone. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Who believes? Oh, help. If we could only see how amazing that is. You don't need to be good for God. It's to those who believe. Salvation, we're going to discover, is a gift which is received when the Jesus story is believed. Wow. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But what's powerful about it, Paul? What do you mean by power? What units are you measuring it in, Paul? You measure power in joules? Is that right? Watts? Around the home or whatever. Or there's the word horsepower, HP. Horsepower. Um, the unit of measurement, Paul says, the unit, the, the unit of measurement here is the righteousness of God. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not, not HP, not horsepower, but RG. Righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is God's unit of power. And it is inconceivably vast. Because it is the power to bring a person who is by nature, and this applies to me and it applies to you and to anybody from the Pope down, who by nature are disastrously at odds with God who is himself righteous, fully pure and wonderful and glorious, the gospel is the power to bring anyone like that, and that applies to all of us, by the initiative and the righteous act of God towards us, 
to declare as a gift that believing person's status changed from condemned to being right with God, to being righteous, as it says here. It is inconceivably vast. It is, if you like, the power to bring, it's the power that brings the dead to life. It is the power that stops a head-on collision in freeze frame and sends it back in reverse. If we could just see this morning how powerful the power of God must be in order to bring somebody like you and me to make us right with God, we would see that, that, that it is incre- inconceivably powerfully vast. And Paul has said that power of God is in the Jesus story, the gospel. Wow. If you want to see the most powerful thing in all the world, scientists say it's hypernovas, which apparently are explosions in space. You see pictures like that sometimes. No, they're wrong. The most powerful thing in all of the world is the righteousness of God that can make a person who is unrighteous, which is all of us, right with God. What must I do? What must I do for that? For for God to do that, for in righteousness to move towards me as as a human being and overturn what I deserve so that instead I get declared righteous. What do I have to do, Paul? What do I have to do to be safe for all eternity like that? Verse 17 tells us, In the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Faith means 0% my goodness and 100% God's grace. The opposite of faith is pride. Either God rescues me, which is what Paul calls here the righteousness of God, or I rescue myself which is man's righteousness, self-righteousness, if you like. The righteousness of God is a righteousness that is 0% me, my goodness, and 100% God's grace. From first to last, the end of sentence 17, just as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith, which means something like the the one who is made righteous through faith will live And having been made righteous, faith will keep him to the end. Verses 16 and 17, there's a lot there, isn't there? Some of you are looking at me and um, um, I'm sorry if I've not made that clear because it is the most wonderful thing that we could ever imagine, the righteousness of God. And I'm hoping that someone here could be saying at this point, Can anything be more wonderful than that? Can anything really be more amazingly wonderful than that? And and if that's if that's that's the case for you, that God by His by His Spirit wants to wants to continue to reveal this righteousness of God to you, something which is so wonderful that you and I have not got any any frame of reference for it. It is so powerful. It is so wonderful that we just can't. But he's wanting, he's drawing you to, to this, to know this, that you might be safe. 
And if that's happening to you, I guess at the same time, something else is going to be happening. At the same time, you're going to be saying, something's going to be saying in your ears, why do I need this righteousness from God? Who says I'm not righteous already? What's all this talk about a collision with King Jesus anyhow? I imagine those things are going to be happening at the same time. And that's why Paul wrote verse 18 and onwards. But we can't look at that this, this morning because that's how it continues. So Paul in 16 and 17 is whetting our appetite. He's just told us something amazing. And he says, are you ready to hear some more about this? We're going to finish there. But I wonder, are you ready to hear some more about that? Righteousness of God in that way. Well, I think we're going to sing. Um, I don't know what it is that we're going to sing. Be thou my vision. Okay.